Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. This is a podcast designed to tell it straight. My name is Laura Sassiri and I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights and this program is designed for the business leader who used to be on the go, but not so much now that we have a pandemic and wants to be in the know. We have a lot of people listening from their homes because we're not able to get around because you know we have to stay in place. Today I'm interviewing Bob Betts and Bob is one of the founders of a blockchain company called BlockNet and it's currently being reconfigured and I wanted to interview Bob and find out a little bit about what's happening with blockchain, what he's he's found out. But Bob, before we start the content, tell the group a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm a uh, 40-year supply chain person. I've been doing supply chain as a CIO, as a VP of supply chain, a consultant. Um, As you know, Laura, I was global supply chain leader for SAP for several years. And I've been re-engineering companies from their supply chain for the last 30 years. Well, tell me about BlockNets and blockchain and what you were trying to do. And then let's talk about what you found out about the market for blockchain. <laughs> yeah. Block, BlockNets was founded um, basically as what I call an initial trial company or a flyer um, by three, three groups, myself, my old company, Main Street, a company called Deese Research, and then a gentleman that I've been associated with on and off for the last 20 years, Dr. Bill Killingsworth. Uh, Bill and I have done many consulting projects for air, in aerospace and defense. So we thought we'd put the, put the uh, company together, and we were really looking for the convergence of three technologies. One was the, the ability to grab and store a tremendous amount of information across very, very large and secure extended supply chains. And of course, blockchain technology can do that. But we were also looking for an answer to many of the problems we, we encountered at the aerospace, large aerospace and defense companies. And those things are common to all supply chains. Do you have the, the multi-tier visibility you need? How are you? How is the company? How are the companies communicating with each other to do things like SNLP and demand and supply planning, the basics? How are what what's going what can be automated? And there's a tremendous amount of data in these systems. So what can you automate? How do you collect the data? How do you make sense of the data? And then finally, the the ultimate answer that we hear from, I'm sure, just everybody in supply chain: Where's my stuff? Very simple question. Where is it? Am I going to stay on plan? Am I going to be off plan? Okay, if I'm off plan, where and why? Am I going to get my materials on time? The very, very basic, what I call basic blocking and tackling questions. So we formed BlockNet to answer those questions and answer it in a way that it is non intrusive to the production or transportation distribution process. Secondly, can be run by just about anybody. And then thirdly, it had to integrate back to the ERPs. And we focused on SAP first for obvious reasons. And so what did you we, find out? 
you know, how, what do we find out? <laughs> how mature is blockchain and how well does it fit those needs? Blockchain technology is, it's, A, it's not mature, given that it's only a few years old in reality, you know, being able to put it commercially together. But it is incredibly robust. And if you build, this, build any network correctly, it is incredibly stable and secure. And that's the trick. You have to build the network correctly from the nodes with the security. And then your applications have to respect the fact that the network is built that way. It's designed to be secure. And you can secure just about anything, which is what I like about it. We've secured 3D printer files, <clears throat> CAD files, uh, international exchange files for, for example, for shipping and, and, and uh, border crossings. You can store just about anything in a blockchain. All, and that's the part that I like about it the most. And it is raw data. And it's qualified data. So many times, if you think about a problem, for example, in supply chain planning, where you're trying to plan off of data, and some of the data is old, some of the data may be fresh, and you get this problem of, do you really have qualified data to start with? With the blockchain, the way we approached it, you always had the right data. It was always present, it was always there, it was always ready, and it was highly qualified because we had, we uh, partnered with Intel to, and uh, AT&T to gather data via IoT sensors from all over the network. Now, we didn't do it in the sense that we centralized everything. We had a fully decentralized blockchain network with literally thousands of nodes potentially, uh, we only got to test about, uh, I think our largest network was about 55, 60 nodes, but everybody acted independently. They had their own operations. And then they published to the network or exposed to the network only the data that was necessary to operate the supply chain and what they felt comfortable sharing across the network. So we found a lot of, a lot of this had to do with what I think of as good old system engineering. You know, you've got to design the system to do what you want. You've got to make sure that you've got the security protocols there the way they're necessary for the data. And then you've got to know basically what you're trying to achieve with the system. Uh, that's, that's critical. And the blockchain technology itself is, a, it, frankly, it's a wonderful underlying technology to manage a very, very large distributed network. Um, and the way to think about it, Laura, is right now today, most of those connections are point-to-point -point EDI. And a point-to-point -point EDI system where you have literally thousands of combinations of interactions is just not feasible right now. You can't afford it. And yes, yeah, I know you can go through exchanges and other things like that, but they tend to centralize the data, which again, if you're trying to make everybody be somewhat autonomous, you're trying to gather these smaller companies into the network, which are the, the weakest link in the supply chains right now. Those, those exchanges and things are just get cumbersome and get in the way because you've got to log on to them separately. You've got to put data in them, upload them, da, 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 and people just don't want to do it. I mean, if you want an example of this, you can look in aerospace. There's something called Exostar, and it's basically an exchange server, and a lot of companies use Exostar. Um, as a exchange server, as a file repository, a lot of different ways. But the 
the actual compliance of using the Exastar as part of the process is challenging because it's always extra work and it's not a small amount of extra work, it's a lot of extra work in some cases. Whereas with the blockchain and the blockchain-based supply chain applications, it becomes no extra work because you're just collecting the data as you go within your normal processes. So there's good things about the blockchain technology and what, what was done, what we did. The biggest issue and the whole thing is the CIOs and many of the many of the technologists are afraid. It's something new, something different. And I don't want to bet my career on it. So you get pilots, we get we get successful pilots, you'll see some successful successful networks, both private and public. But you know, the the adoption of the blockchain technology, even once it's proven and the value of it is 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 visible, is very going to be very, very slow, much slower than we ever anticipated. And Bob, is that because the processes are inside out and they're not focused on networks, or is it because people just can't conceptualize how to use it, or because the adoption by large players like SAP and Oracle, and you know IBM is pushing it, but the deployments are few, that they're just not driving it into their apps? What's the root cause? That's, I think you've hit on a few of the, what I think is the peripheral causes. I think the biggest issue is just fear. It's something new, it's something different, and the IT staffs in these large companies, they get worried about it. They get fearful that they're about the best, you know, a company or part of their company on this new technology, and they're, they're not comfortable with it. Many people, many, many people in these IT groups do not understand the security levels available within the blockchain technology, plus the, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it very bluntly, Plus the what I think of as the entropy of all of the partners, all the players, you know, the different protocols, the different standards. It's a lot to understand. And if you're worried about running your, your supply chain day to day or your IT system, your ERP systems and so forth day to day, you're not focused on these, these new things that are somewhat complicated and difficult to understand. And let's face it, a building a network, a peer-to-peer network system is nearly 180 degrees away from how you would implement an ERP system, simply because you've got so many partners, so many different priorities, and trying to get them all together and understand the objectives and how they can secure their own data and how they can um, replicate the data across the network and how you get one copy that's secured. And it is it is a difficult thing for people to get their head around. I mean, we, to give you an idea, we built a very sophisticated demonstration system. We spent a lot of money on it, and it was all tactical, tactical, tactile, visual, um, trains moving around between um, manufacturing sites, warehouses, retail sites, so that people could get their hands on this thing and see how it worked. They, it was very successful. People loved it. But again, trying to get through the barriers of budget, control, prototyping, all of the other factors, just, it's going to, it's going to take time. And I laud IBM. I think IBM's in a very unique position, given their size and scale, to, to do some very innovative things here. But 
with companies like SAP and Oracle, where are, they're heavily vested in these in the very very large ERP systems, they're going to move much much slower because they've got such a large vested interest in the ERP. I mean, to give you an, an idea, SAP has the innovation group, and we were part of that. Uh, we were the number 17 partner, innovation partner at one time. And what we were doing is collecting the data in the blockchain through the IoT sensors with Intel. And we, we have a design actually implemented, the ability to present inventory back to SAP's ERP system so that it is perpetually accurate. So the, the cycle counting structures, all the distributed data structures and everything else that goes into, for example, SAP VWM and WM and IM structures, we had those extended and built into our application so we could build, bring it all through the blockchain and present it to the ERP. And we got a little uptake on that. A couple of companies that saw it got surprised surprised and they loved it, but it's a very different amount of data. It's a lot of data and it's a lot of, of very, very accurate data. So they got, it, it's just a, a matter of time, I think, before it moves along, but it's not going to move at the pace that everybody's excited about and all the buzz about. This is going to be a slow evolution. Well, you know, Bob, as you know, I coordinate this Network of Networks group where we've done some testing of blockchain and we invited you to come and speak. And unfortunately, you know, conditions didn't allow you to do that. But, you know, we've also seen the same kind of dynamic with the group. And one of the issues is that there isn't a point person in major manufacturers that are building networks at a business level. And there's a lot to take in, you know, the standards, the roles, responsibilities, the design of multi-tier processes, the implications for spire development, corporate sustainability. And I don't find that there's anyone working on it. What I find is people in IT that are typically baby boomers have worked on EDI, very focused on EDI standards, or I find maybe somebody in the sales department that has worked on you know, getting orders or automation of VMI because that helped drive, you know, compliance to trading partners on the sales side. But I don't find leaders in organizations that are really actively building value networks. And part of the issue is that our processes are inside out. They're not outside in. But do you think this pandemic will change that? Because, you know, now... You know, the whole premise of ERP and transactional systems, which are inside out and very focused on finance, there's a need to really orchestrate market to market. Do you think that one of the implications coming out of this will be the building of outside-in processes and value networks, or do you think we're just a long ways away? There's two answers. I think I'm hopeful that this a lot of companies will start to see the opportunity of how to build these interactions. But I think your other point is very, very right. I think there's going to be, it's going to take time and it's a completely different way of thinking. You know, again, putting together a network to solve a problem, whether it be an aircraft or a ventilator. Think of what we all need now. We need ventilators, right? 
and there's a worldwide shortage, and you, you know you hear about it every day. And you hear about companies say, raising their hands saying, we're going to build ventilators. We're going to build ventilators. Well, if you look at a ventilator, a ventilator at its very core has some fairly sophisticated elements to it that not just any company can go build. And let me, let me walk through this, and you're going to hopefully understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. So you take a ventilator, and let's just break it apart as a bill of material for a moment. You know you know that there is some very sophisticated electronics in there. Now, as good as Ford may be at building cases, and Elon Musk and his group can build cases and some mechanical elements, the control boards inside a medical device are very sophisticated and very complex because you've got a human interaction with it. So you've got safety protocols, you've got all kinds of uh, extra protocols to make sure it doesn't overrun the person. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of software that goes in there and a lot of controls that most people wouldn't think about. Now, if you think about it from a supply chain perspective, yeah, there are companies that can do that and build those and they're experts at building what I call small, fast locks. And a company that comes to mind right off the top of my head that could do this is Jable. This is what they're good at. So from a a networking perspective, if I'm going to go build a ventilator, I got to go find that, that control those control boards, a company and companies or company that can build the control software for me. So I've got to go find Jable. I may have to go find a software con company like Medtronic or some of these other guys to help me build the, that, that piece. Then I need a pump and I need a medical grade pump. Now, who can build medical grade pumps? I got to go find them. You know, Ford can't just say, I'm going to build a medical grade pump. You know, you've got their medical grade pumps are smoother in reaction. You've got an almost an infinite or analog like setting between high pressure and low pressure, just to give you a couple of examples. And then you've got all the medical grade tubing, casing, um, you've got medical grade valves to make sure you don't get backwash. So, as we approach what we're doing with these ventilators, why is nobody looking at it from this perspective? Saying, I'm going to use, take the best companies we have in the country, and I can network them together and build a ventilator pretty quick. Instead I of saying, I agree with you more. Why are we not taking experts in the supply chain across the value network that creates ventilators, putting them together? Because all of those circuits, all of those boards, all those medical-grade pumps, all those medical-grade valves, there's a lot of IP and a lot of nuance to that. And where are the inventories and what are those supplier relationships? So when I listen to the news, I just seethe because, okay, first of all, we're on the back foot and it's a size 12 back foot. And second of all, there's no understanding of supply chain. And third, we're not building networks and bringing knowledgeable people together. So I couldn't agree more. But, you know, I think it's because we're so focused on regional manufacturing supply chains and only on manufacturing, not really looking at source, make and deliver together and not really building value networks. But do you think we'll learn out of this pandemic that value networks matter? I'm really, one of the things I'm hoping occurs, and it's a hope right now, is that one of the companies, whether it be 
Medtronic or someone else, and I'm using them as an example, and I'm not saying they're bad. They build marvelous things and, and are a great company. But when a company like that's going to look at this and go, okay, wait a minute. We've got to look at our ability to manufacture these things a lot different. We can't think of this as an internal vertical thing, supply chain. We've got to go get parts from, from the best companies in the country. We've got to share, to your point, share some of our IP. We've got to look at different ways we manufacture, like, for example, 3D printing and things of that nature, to, to help engage in this fight we're in. And I'm hoping that one of the executives or some of the executives in this, one of the supply chain folks will wake up and say, wait a minute. We've got to attack this as a holistic problem, not just us making as many as we can. Because I can guarantee you, and, guarantee, and I, my wife's hearing, tired of me hearing about saying this, we can manufacture as many as we need. If we pull the network together, we could almost have infinite capacity to build what's necessary as fast as we need it. It's yeah, just a matter of pulling the future why we aren't accessing the available inventories that are work in process for ventilators and N95 masks, etc., and not sending commercial jets to China to pick up the inventory. Well, remember, their, their systems have been shut down, many of them, for the exactly. last two months. But a lot of the global manufacturing inventory for the brand owners is there. Yes, it is. But it's, they've lost people, they've lost their their factory process right now. So they're just trying to crank back up again. Now, there may be inventory there that we don't know about, but I kind of believe intuitively that to get through their problem of the, of the virus and the crisis we're in, they may have consumed all that inventory. They may have cranked it down. And then if they did not follow the correct protocols with the use of the ventilators and some of the equipment, it becomes one-time use. It's because of it being, you know, infected with the virus. You know, remember, it lives a long time on different surfaces, and we don't even know right. the incubate, the full incubation rate, and things like that. Yeah, so we have absolutely. no, no knowledge. Yeah, we have no knowledge. So the ability to take a, a ventilator from China, say, okay, I'm going to send it to India and use it. Yeah, that sounds nice, but I, if yeah. it were me, <laughs> I'm not sure I want that ventilator. Yeah, but that's not my thought. Work. My thought is that. I mean, I have a lot of respect for medical device companies and, you know, they're global, they're not regional and that right. we have parts, you know, in warehouses and since 90% of the N95 masks were manufactured in China and 40% of the medical devices, maybe if we could see those global inventories of work in process parts, you know, we could pick them up and get a leg up. But anyway... You know, I, I, you're but there is, there is some, let, me, let me interrupt you for just a second. There is another factor here. Not all parts that are manufactured in some countries are exportable to other countries. So if I've got parts made, for example, in China, I cannot send those to South Korea. They won't accept them. Right. I built, I built a, a large network for Smith & Nephew, who does uh, medical part, you know, shoulders, hips, knees, things like that. And the import-export rules are ridiculously complex. They will, and the labeling of product and how you ship it and where you ship it, I mean, that's a large, that, I think that's probably a large part of what's inhibiting us right now. Well, I think we're saying the same thing. We can't look at this as a 
manufacturing regional supply chain issue. We need to look at it more holistically. And we're both hoping that we start to look outside in and build networks. And, you know, I know you've decided to shut down the company that you co-founded to do blockchain. Why did you decide to shut it down? I think we were basically forced into it. We, uh, we built the product and had a few really good prototypes and pilots and things like that. We just could not get enough sales uptake. Just couldn't get it. And by the time we were, we were really cranking through money and everything was, was occurring, we were moving very aggressively and nicely. Um, we just flat projected a running out of money. So we had to cycle everything down and shut it down. Could not get further investors, could not get enough revenue. So here you are in the market, Bob. You're very talented. I have a lot of respect for you. And you're looking for a new job at the cusp of a pandemic. What are you finding? <laughs> it is tough. It is very, this is a very tough time. You know, personally, I've, I've been, you know, looking around for several months. And it's surprising how difficult it is to get through some of the AI filters that companies use. Unless you've got an exact fit and you fit every little word and every little piece, those AI filters, basically you, you can't even get the first base. So that, that's been interesting. But the most, the most challenging thing I think right now is even with companies shut down, trying to get through into them and through into their supply chain people or even their IT people to help them configure the systems and build the systems up so that they can be, they can be adaptive to what's going on. I mean, it's, it's been frustrating. It really has. Um, there's tremendous need, tremendous need at all levels, but I think everybody's just trying to hunker down um, given the, the large unemployment rate that's going to show up here shortly. And they're trying to just keep, their, keep the lights on in their own companies right now. Well, I wish you a lot of luck. And if anybody wants a really talented person to build value networks coming out of the pandemic, give Bob a call, uh, particularly if you're interested in blockchain and digital transformation. Bob, join, join the Network and Network's work, and um, hopefully we can make a difference. And I appreciate you being on the show today. Until next time. All right, Laura. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.